This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Yusinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another Mike Missinelli Podcast. I hope everybody's tuning in to the Mike Missinelli Podcast because this is episode number 71. And we're doing it on Tuesday, April 18th. It is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Get the app. And you know, listen, we're going to be talking about Jalen Hurts in a second. We're going to be talking about the Sixers. Let me just tell you about the Bet Rivers app because I've been using it a lot. All right. And this is how betting goes, right? Um, for the first time ever, Bet Rivers app has lured me into betting the Phillies, betting baseball. I never bet baseball, right? So I'm watching the game where uh, the Reds jump out to a big lead. This is the Sunday game, right? And the Sunday game, they're up out to a big lead. They're up 7 nothing. I look at the Bet Rivers app. The beauty of it is you can bet in game. They gave the Phillies plus seven at that point. So they tied the game for me and tied the game. And I'm thinking, all right, well, you know, the, the Phillies plus seven, they're going to score a couple runs. This is an easy bet. Well, it turned out they get house 13 to nothing. So then I come back the next night, right? Because there's no way that the Reds are going to replicate that kind of effort. And Noel is pitching and he's got to come back. And it looks like a bargain to me at Phillies minus one and a half runs. And I jump on it. That's the beauty of the app. When you read the tea leaves there, the Phillies minus a run and a half trying to bounce back. That's a solid bet. I cashed it. But let me also uh, tell you about some, some other bets I made. I hit the Sacramento Kings in game one against the Gold State Warriors. How about that? But then I come back with the Warriors in game two. And I know they stink on the road, but it looks too good to be true. All that energy in game one for Sacramento, they're not going to be, be at the same level the next night. Well, they win again. So you win some, you lose some, but it's really fun looking at that Bet Rivers app. All right. So much to talk about today. Uh, and uh, we start today with the monster signing of quarterback uh, Jalen Hurts uh, and also the Sixers taking a two up lead on, on the uh, series versus the Nets. And as I've said before, this smells like a sweep, like, uh, like nobody's business to me. And we'll get to that in a second. Also, today, we're going to be talking to my buddy Frank Isola 
who, who does pre and post game for the Nets games on the Yes Network. I was watching Frank last night, but he also co-hosts the morning show on Sirius XM NBA radio called the morning uh, uh, drive or uh, the morning. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not a morning drive. It's the starting lineup. Uh, it's a morning show. He does it with former uh, NBA player with the Celtics and a couple other teams, Brian Scalabrini. It's called the starting lineup. We'll talk to Frank a little bit. Frank and I used to run together back in the day when we covered sports. He was in newspapers. I was in newspapers as well. Uh, but let's get going. All right. Let's uh, uh, the bigger story. Uh, it's it's Jalen Hurts. Uh, with all due respect to the Sixers being up in the NBA playoffs. Uh, the, they made Jalen Hurts the highest paid player in NFL history. Now, roll that around in your brain for a second, because a few years ago, at least I was, lamenting the idiocy of selecting Jalen Hurts in the second round when they already had signed Carson Wentz to a big deal. And I'm thinking, these guys don't even know what they're doing. And they went with the quarterback factory, the whole thing. I don't even think they thought it was a good pick. As Faye would have it, the guy takes a team to the Super Bowl and gets into that line of going rate for quarterbacks. It's good to be a quarterback in the NFL. It's good to be a QB1 where you're a young star caliber quarterback because you're going to get paid. This was an inevitable result once Jalen Hurts got the Eagles to the Super Bowl, and we were just speculating on how much it would be. So let's go over how much it is. Five-year, $255 million extension, $180 million of it is guaranteed. No trade clause, which really doesn't mean a lot. $23 million signing bonus will make $64 million in 2024 as soon as he signs the papers. As soon as the contract is delivered in front of him, he bits a pen. It could be a bick. doesn't matter what pen it is. He signs his name. $110 million is guaranteed. By March of 2024, $126.5 million is guaranteed. Uh, uh, it's a cherry on top, uh, like in the early part of it. Now, the only thing I'm confused about, and we'll get into the parameters on whether this was wise or not. I do not, I thought I understood the salary cap in the NFL. Apparently, I don't, because I looked at what Adam Schefter put out today, and I don't know how this can be right. Uh, all right, so. I, the extension is not – it says the extension on the top of a contract, which gives the Eagles a little leeway on it, right? So it, this coming season, with the, his other contracts still alive, uh, the cap hit is only $6.15 million according to these numbers. In 2024, it's only $13.56 million. And here's where they lose me. In 2025, $21.77 million. In 2026, $31.77 million. The AAV in his contract is $51 million a year. I don't know how they sophisticatedly calculated this to have that much of a low hit on the salary cap. And the only thing I can assume is that they backloaded this immeasurably to the point where down the road is where they have to worry about the cap hit. By down the road... The NFL salary cap, which raises every year, will be raised again, and the money that they'll be paying him and the cap hit won't look nearly as bad because the cap will be higher. And also by then, probably a couple quarterbacks are coming in at the $60 million level. So the Eagles, and God bless his agent, Nicole Lynn, who got this deal, she had the Eagles' backs against the wall. She knew exactly where they had to go, and she just threw in some perks. So how about a no-trade clause? How about this much guarantee? Blah, blah, blah. What are the Eagles going to say? No? 
What were the Eagles' choices here? The Eagles could have let him play on the existing contract next year where he was going to make $4 million, and, and everybody would have been up in arms because he's the quarterback that took him to the Super Bowl, and the organization would have taken the heat for being uh, you know, not appreciative. Uh, and and w- waiting for a guy to get hurt to ruin the next deal. So they had to do it now, and they had to do it now wisely because the, the rate for quarterbacks is only going to go up. Uh, so let's talk now about the risk because a lot of people talk about the risk. I haven't heard many people carp at all about this kind, this kind of a contract for their quarterback. They're in love with Jalen Hurts right now. And so there are two things you got to worry about. The risk of injury because he runs the football a lot which is a, vi- a viable risk. I mean, let's face it. But but this guy is about the most physical quarterback you're ever going to see. So the likelihood that he gets injured, and it's still there, believe me, but the likelihood he gets injured is, less, is probably less than guys who are a lot more frail than he is. Besides that, you can't hit the quarterback anymore. Besides that, they've just developed this new helmet for the quarterback only. You know, the quarterback has an advantage. It's good to be the quarterback. And I'm sitting here, I'm going, that agent pulled it off where she's got that guaranteed money. Forget about the 255, just to guarantee 180 million of it. You know, do the math on that. Give four four percent of that little ditty. She made a cool seven point two million dollars. And right now I'm lamenting my career choice. You know, if I would have had the foresight where I represent one quarterback, all I need is one. I don't have to have another client. If I had a star player like Jalen Hurts, I'd make it $7.2 million in commission on his, his guaranteed money, which could go up if he actually reaches two hundred fifty-five. dollars All right, we talked about the risk of getting hurt. We talked about a guy that maybe can go south because there's always a chance that a player can go south. We saw it with Carson Wentz. He went south. He, he wasn't mentally strong enough. Now, I look at Jalen Hurts and I go, I don't even know if the guy's human. I got to be honest with you. I think Jalen Hurts might be a pod. He he's, seems to be unaffected by, by stuff that other players would be affected by. He, he's like coached by a coach. He's got this, this serious mindset about him. I don't think that's the type of guy that's going to go south with his ability. So I think the risk is very low here for the Eagles. And uh, they, they, they had no other choice. The guy took him to the Super Bowl. Had he not taken him to the Super Bowl, maybe they could have got a lower price. But once Daniel Jones signed for $45 million a year, what are Eagles going to do? Oh, Jalen, we think you're worth 40. Oh, yeah? That schmo in New York is worth 45. So so that's the the the, the parameters for uh, uh, Jalen Hurts and the contract. It's a cherry on top of a Sunday now for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I don't see the risk. And it's the going great for star quarterbacks. So let me bring in producer Darren DeGatano, who's a big football guy. Darren, your thoughts on this contract? Uh, my immediate thought is that it is, the, I believe, the first time the Eagles have given a, a uh, no-trade clause for the duration of a contract. Uh, I think that's huge. I, wa- like, uh, like I wonder if that's something that, that the agent and Nicole herself... Um, well, first of all, it's not huge. It's not usual at all. Well, why, 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 he would be untradeable anyway at that price. Not necessarily. So, so, so it's, 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 all, all it is, 
It, it doesn't really that that clause doesn't really mean a thing, to be honest with you. It's a five year contract extension, right? right. They're not going to trade him within five years. If he goes south, nobody's going to want to pay that money anyway, and that's the only reason they would trade him in the first place. I, I think so you're wrong. Look past that. That's, trade a, for that's just a little. That's just a little perk that they threw I, in. There. It doesn't no, really I see mean what you're much. saying. I think you're wrong, and the teams wouldn't want to trade for him. First of all, if if they traded for Carson Wentz, uh, they're going to trade for Jalen Hurts. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you've got the, it's a five-year deal, right? So you, it's, it's six years on top of that. You've got the no trade clause, but I wonder if that was put in basically because of what happened with Carson. Uh, I wonder if that was, was, was a talking point where they basically said, look, we see what just happened here. I just found that to be interesting. Uh, yeah, the money though for the Hertz is double what Carson Wentz got. Well, so, so you you got to look you got to look at that. If he goes really bad, they want to trade. He would have to go horrendous, and, and at that point, you're carrying that kind of a contract of fifty one million AAV. I, I don't know that that he would be tradable anyway. But so I I don't I look at that trade that no trade as that big of a. It deal. might not be, but but you know you did bring up the point. You you thinking you know, that cap hit and was going to trade for him. You know you also discussed the the. The incline of the NFL salary cap, it's estimated that five years from now, so close to the end of that deal, he'll have one year remaining five years from now. Because for those people who don't realize, the five-year deal starts after next season. So in essence, they have him under contract for six years because he still has a, yeah. a year left on the rookie deal. Okay, the, In five years from now, the NFL salary cap is estimated to be increased by a total of $80 million from now. $80 million. Yeah. So that's not going to be that big a cap hit as it might seem, although I'm I'm sure it's heavy in those last couple of years. Listen, if it was a no trade clause after t- ten years, like with ten year contract, then I got. Uh, but uh, you know, five years. Listen, here's the guys in a position to play the five year extension, and uh, and still get another big contract. Sure, which is a, it may that to me is is the most amazing part of this thing that he 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 maintains star caliber play. And he's he's going to get that eighty million what, by what the time I, they're up. Uh, oh no doubt. What I what I feel is most incredible about this is less than a year, less than twelve months of a calendar year ago. You know, most people were like half the people, at least half the people, fans were like, "He's not the guy." I don't think he has it. The Eagles themselves thought he wasn't the guy because they tried to trade for Russell Wilson and they more than kicked the tires on Deshaun Watson. So less than a calendar year ago, they were like, we got to find somebody else to, to lead this franchise. They went from that to the highest paid average per year contract in NFL history. That, to me, is incredible. Of course it is. Because everybody, including me, I said, I have to see. Well, what I saw was a, a, a guy that took him to the Super Bowl. And that's irrefutable. That's you, you can't put a, any spin on that. And uh, here, here was probably the Eagles' reaction, knowing that this could come down the pike if that happened. They get to the Super Bowl. They went, "Yeah, oh no." <laughs> that, that's that's the reaction. Oh shit, he's going to cost us now. Super Bowl appearance did, it triggered this kind yeah. of a contract, and they go, "You know what? Guess what? We got to bite the bullet." And so that's the way it works out. Uh, okay, so 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 that's that. Now let me just, as long as we're talking about the Eagles, because next week obviously we're going to get zeroed into to the uh, NFL draft, uh, and uh, everybody's speculating what the Eagles might do. I, I've kind of boiled it down to the following: um, they're at ten. If Jalen Carter slips 
and they see that he could be available at eight. I could see the Eagles moving down to eight to get him. That's the only move I could see them make. They could sit at 10, however, uh, and they could trade back. And if they do that, they can gain a couple of picks that they don't have in the middle of this draft. Or they could stay at 10. And if they stay at 10, Nolan Smith could come to them at 10. Would they take him at 10? Would they take Lucas Van Ness from Iowa at 10? Or at 10, would they take a cornerback? Probably not. If they trade out at 10 and get the picks, that's when they'll probably take a cornerback. If they stay at 10, they could take Nolan Smith. They could go to the offensive line with Paris Johnson, who they have in, by the way, the big kid from Ohio State, or Peter Skaronsky. Uh, or they could take Van Ness, which I think would be a reach at 10. So I am saying that they could. Nolan Smith or one of those offensive linemen, if they stay at 10, will be their pick. If Jalen Carter slides, I could see him moving up to 8. And if they trade back, I think they would take a corner with 15 while they acquire a pick in the third or fourth round. Now, at 30, this is really interesting because they could acquire a couple of picks if they move back at 10. And at 30, they look at the board, and they see B. John Robinson, it's a 22, and they see he still hasn't been taken. Maybe they do that. I love B. John Robinson. I don't think there's a chance in hell he's going to be an Eagle. But it is intriguing to think that if he slips into the 20s, the Eagles, if they acquire some more picks, could fold back into the first round and take B. John Robinson. And so if you're coming out with either an offensive lineman or rushing defensive end, and that guy, it's a pretty damn good draft. Your thoughts? I agree with you. I, I do think there's no way in hell they take a running back at number 10, nor should they. I, and I get it. I know he's – he's. and I kind of – I'm curious. I kind of – if they did it, I would be a little aggravated because of how many um, uh, number one picks they've burnt on wide receivers in the past few years. I'm not wild about taking skill positions unless it's a quarterback in, in that high in the draft. I think it's going to be a defensive lineman. Um, I think there's an equal chance of them drafting a defensive or offensive lineman at 10 and trading back. Trading back, maybe you take a corner or you see who falls to them at 12, 15, wherever they fall back to. Um, but, I mean, he'd be real interesting, but it's just not the right pick. It's not a smart pick. It's really not. You build you, top ten, top 15 picks. Not only are they a day one starter contributor for a team, but usually you build those lines, those offensive defensive lines, which as we saw all year, that's how the Eagles, that's how, and that's how games are won at the pro level. All right. So that concludes uh, our Eagles uh, top. So let's get to what's really hot and current. And it's the Sixers. And now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know I, I gave the Nets very little chance to win a game. All right. Last night, they had a chance and they just uh, kind of threw it away because they don't have anything for the Sixers. They don't have anything to beat the Sixers. And, and I, I, I love these people. They go, well, I, do, I, I picked the Sixers in six. Where in the hell is this Nets team going to win two games from the Sixers? They don't have enough strength to win a game against the Sixers. It'll be a fluke if they even won one in Brooklyn. Now, let's look at last night's game because I had a classic drop-the-mic moment last night in, with my Twitter. So uh, I'm watching the game, and and they're slogging around. It's It's clear that they didn't come engaged to play last night because they know they're that much better than Nets. So they thought just slogging around the first half, they you know, it's an easy victory for them. And then Nets 
give them credit. They had a game plan last night. Their game plan was the gang uh, and beat wherever he was. They sent two and sometimes three hoping that he would turn the ball over because sometimes he makes lazy passes and they get turnovers. They have to get baskets off transition. They have to make threes. That's the only way the Nets can stay competitive in the game. So they ganged him. No matter where he was post top of the key Uh, to his credit, he made the right decisions all the time. He passed out of it every single time. And you look at his numbers in the first half, and they were very pedestrian. Well, because he wasn't getting shots because they were preventing him from getting shots. There's two ways you can play this if you're the Nets. You can go, Embiid's going to get his. Let's concentrate on other guys not making shots. Or let's gang up on Embiid. Hopefully he makes some mistakes. We get turnovers. We get transition. And we score. Well, he made the right plays last night, and and when uh, so so the Sixers slogging along with the Nets making some shots, and uh, so this is what I tweeted last night halftime. The Sixers, who got out should be down by twenty, are down by five at halftime. Here was my tweet, because all these people on Twitter get panicked. Oh, the Sixers! Oh, I can't believe it. So I tweet: Sixers were horrendous in the first half, and only down five. Runaway win. Good night. Halftime. Drop the mic. Bam. I went to bed. I watched the rest of the game. Didn't tweet for the rest of the game. And sure enough, that's what happens. The Nets can't win a game. And it's listen, it is what it is. There there are some teams that are just better than another team. Now, the NBA playoffs are really interesting because you're getting all kinds of upsets. The Nets can't upset the Sixers. They don't have anything for the Sixers. Not to say that the Sixers are some great teams. I'm just looking at this series. It would be a shock if the Sixers lost the game in this series. All right. So so now let's get to where the nitty gritty is. Because there's this discussions on online. Now people are getting carried away with the Sixers beating the Nets. And I caution you, don't get carried away. The absolutes are they're much better than the Nets. The absolute is that anything they do in the Nets isn't going to give you any indication that they can beat Boston or Milwaukee. Now, the Milwaukee situation has gotten interesting with Giannis falling on his back. The Sixers don't have to worry about Milwaukee. They have to worry about Boston in the next round. And I still don't think they're strong enough to beat Boston in four games. So I'm I'm putting it out there right now. Now, I'm not trying to put any negativity on this series at all. I'm just examining, I'm analyzing, and I'm looking at the two teams. And I go, Boston's just a little better, plus they have home court advantage. So hopefully the Sixers can overcome that and make me look stupid and then get into the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks. All right, so th- there's your, your Sixer discussion for last night. Uh, Mikkel Bridges got battered and bruised last night. He was... <laughs> He was getting knocked all around the floor, and Cam Johnson made a lot of shots in the first half, ran out of gas in the second half. Those guys aren't going to make shots, and they had open looks in the second half. They didn't make any shots. So what's going to happen? Well, they're going to suddenly make shots. Suddenly they're they're going to get points off transition. The Nets are going into this downward spiral, this, this rabbit hole, where they know it's inevitable that they're going to be playing golf in about a week. All right. So, so that's that. Darren, your thoughts on that? I, I thought the same thing. I mean, going into the series, there's Michael Bridges. They really, you're playing this team's G League players. A lot of these guys that are young and don't have a whole lot of experience. I mean, this really, I, I didn't think, put it this way, I would have been aggravated. I will be aggravated if the Sixers lose a game to this team. 
There's no reason for them to lose a single game to this team. Um, Boston is another, it's a whole nother level. And I agree with you. They just look stronger. They look deeper and they have the Sixers number. So right now I'm, I'm almost in like, wake me up when you get to Boston mode. Uh, these games are, they really don't, I, the Sixers don't feel like, I don't feel like they're even really need <laughs> to play that hard to beat this Nets team at times. Last night they struggled a bit, but because they couldn't, they didn't have the energy. And by the way, we have Doc's speech. If you want to put, if, we, if you want to throw that in at some point, um, that he gave to them, I think he called timeout without a minute into the third quarter last night because they came out sluggish again after the first half of playing sluggish. He came out and said, "No, nope, yeah, it was a good timeout by him." Yeah, so yeah, very good timeout by Doc. Did a nice job last night, challenging their manhood. Really saying, hey, "Listen, you guys play like idiots." Yeah, so uh, let's get it, let's get it going. Okay, yeah, let's let's hear what Doc had to say because he called that timeout. They were they were really playing sluggish, and and he kind of got on them and challenged them with that early timeout. It was a good timeout. So here's what Doc had to say in the huddle. Come on, guys. Come on. But listen, we, it's up to y'all what y'all want to do. I mean, who do we got to trust? Come on. Tell us what we got to get motion and movement. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. All right, so so there you go with your Sixers up 2-0. Uh, again, sweep city for me, and uh, we move on to when the real NBA playoffs start for the Philadelphia 76ers. It's the Mike Yusinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the time has come. Uh, the marquee guest for today's Mike Yusinelli Podcast, a man I've known for many years, started out way back in the newspaper uh, business together, uh, and now he's just like, uh, I mean, Star-studded. Uh, his life is uh, all around the place. He, first of all, is the host of a great morning show. I listen to it all the time on Sirius uh, XM NBA Radio, the morning uh, uh, show with Brian Scalabrini called The Starting Lineup. Uh, he is a veteran of uh, uh, the New York Post, New York Daily News. You'll see him host PTI every now and again on ESPN and Around the Horn, where he's now a host after he was a guest. And he's on the uh, Yes Network with the Nets pre and halftime and post game shows. I was watching last night. In fact, the great Frank Isola joins us. Hello, Frankie. How are you, Mike Missinelli? He's a pit bull. Little do they know when I first met him, he could not have been softer and nicer. I'm going to tell you where I first met you. It was at a Manhattan College LaSalle game, and I was up there to do a story on Lionel Simmons. And you know, most of the people in the media hate other people in the media, and they're jealous of them. Mike could not have been not because I had no idea what I was doing. And he kind of pointed me to all the right spots I had to go to. And I should talk to this person. I think Speedy Morris was probably the coach uh-huh. back then. You were kind of helping me out. So, you know, you got this reputation. You were uh, as soft as cotton back then. I was. As a newspaper reporter, I was very serious about my life. And then I got into Sports <laughs> Talk Radio and changed completely. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was uh, – uh, back then, I was covering. I had the college beat, so I could kind of pick and choose. And Lionel was a big story that 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 year, obviously. And so, yeah, even you. Who they have? The it York. was Doug Overton, and what was the guy that ended up on the Clippers? Randy. Randy Woods. Randy Woods. Yeah, he was fun. Yeah, yeah, they were they were a good squad. And uh, Lasalle's taking a turn down from from those yeah. errors. But but Frank, let's let's talk about. Uh, uh, the NBA, because that, that is your uh, your main focus these days. Uh, 
And I was watching you on, on the uh, post game show last night, and you know you you had it down cold. I mean, what the Nets tried to do last night was gang up on on Embiid and hoping he would make turn the ball over, making bad passes out of that double and triple, and sometimes triple teams. And um, the Nets didn't make shots in the second half, and, and they had to make shots for them to be competitive in the series. They have to make three point shots. They have to get uh, shots off transition, off turnovers. And in the second half, they just kind of fell apart with a chance to actually win that game yeah. last night. Yeah, and I really thought – I didn't think Philadelphia played that well. It was hard to believe they were only down five at halftime, and I thought the Nets' game plan for the most part was working. I thought Ty, uh, Tyrese Maxey kind of kept Philadelphia in it in the first half. Remember, it was a 10-point deficit there, but he was the guy that whenever they needed a basket seemed to deliver a bit. But Embiid, I got to give him a lot of credit because I think he, he's so patient with the double team and he's smart. You know, He gets the ball. How many times will he catch it? And when the double comes, he dribbles away – from it for a second and then he's big enough where he can throw over top and then he'll pass the ball to Harden who passes it into the corner usually to P.J. Tucker then they realize P.J. Tucker can't make a shot and then they said here's what we'll do we'll put Tyrese Maxey in one corner and we'll put Tobias Harris in the other corner and P.J. you just kind of run in circles in the paint and hope for, and maybe if a rebound comes you can grab it but they I give I give the Sixers a lot of credit they played really well in the second half. All right, what's your opinion of Doc Rivers? The last night I thought he made a strategic move calling that timeout early because they came out sluggish again, and he kind of read the riot act, um, and he's got a checkered past. I mean, let's face it. A lot of people like to pick on Doc for not being a great playoff coach, even though he has won, and he's uh, always been able to coach stars, I guess. Uh, what's your opinion of him? And I, I know you work with Scal, who who likes him. Yeah. Uh, so what what do you think? Oh, and you think about it too, when Doc was in Boston and they went to two finals and they won a championship, you had Tom Thibodeau was one of his assistant coaches. He had Ty Lue as another assistant coach. That's, you know, two of the top coaches in the NBA. I think what hurts Doc is the year that he was coaching the Clippers and they had the big lead on the Houston Rockets and they're one win away from going to Golden State to play in a conference finals. It's going to be the first time the Clippers ever played in the conference finals. And the Rockets had this great comeback. They win that game. They end up winning the series. But, I mean, I look at them. To me, they're not better than Milwaukee, and they're not better than Boston. So they should get past the Brooklyn Nets. So what's going to happen in the next round? I think top to bottom, Boston has the best talent in the league. So if if they could win that series, they're going to need Joel Embiid to play, like, even better than he's playing now. And you're going to need a throwback performance from James Harden, who looks like he's lost a bit here. So are they going to put that on Doc Rivers if they end up getting knocked out? I think what hurt Doc, here's another thing too. In that moment when Doc said what he said a couple of years ago about Ben Simmons, it was a flippant remark. He was wrong to say it because in a lot of ways, forget about hurting the player's feelings. You're also hurting his trade value a little bit. But Ben Simmons took the to the extreme by not showing up for training camp and using that as an excuse. I think Doc's a fine coach. I just think it's going to be a talent issue in the next round, assuming that they play Boston. Yeah, I uh, I don't think they beat Boston, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I, I've been saying it consistently here, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. They, they, they should sweep this series, to be honest with you. Uh, but let's talk about the Nets and the disintegration of what <laughs> – like when you first came on uh, doing the, the Nets games this year – they, they had a completely different outlook and all yeah. of a sudden the whole thing disintegrated. So when they had, when they paired up, they made the trade. It's, it's now Simmons and, and it's KD and it's uh, uh Harden and the, the, the Nets own the world. Talk to, to me what happened. You know, it's amazing too. They made a trade this year 
and traded two guys that were responsible for the team going 18-2 and two over a 20-game stretch. That was the best 20-game stretch in the history of the franchise. And both of the players who were responsible for that got traded. Now, we all know Kevin Durant, after they got swept last year by Boston, he waits until Kyrie opted in. The timing of it's kind of interesting. There's supposed to be a package deal. Kyrie opts into his contract. The very next day, Kevin Durant says, I want to be traded. So that, you know, you're going into the season knowing that one of the guys already didn't want it out. To the Nets' credit, they told Kevin Durant, we will trade you. That's no problem. But we're not giving you away. Unless we get a deal that's best for us, you're going to stay on the team. And guess what? That worked out from this standpoint. Durant obviously increased his trade value, and I think the Nets got probably the best deal that they can get. But it all started with Kyrie. Because as you know, Mike, with Kyrie, it's always something. It's he doesn't want to go to the bubble. He doesn't want to get the vaccination. He goes to the team. It's always something. No matter if you agree or disagree with Kyrie's position on stuff, you have to at least admit admit it's always something, and the always something equals games missed. That's the huge problem. And it all began with Kyrie saying, give me my contract extension. They said, no, no, not so fast. And he said, get me out of here, and then the ball gets rolling. You know what's great about you? See, here's the thing. My my producer Darren's like, Darren. I'm I'm pretty. Frank and I share the same DNA. I, I don't know how we got it. Uh, you know, we tried to trace this. Like, we both have bullshit meters, and, and like he's covered a lot of sports. He's covered a lot of high level sports in New York. He covered uh, the. He was a Mets beat writer. He covered he was a Knicks beat writer. You know, all the way down the road where you dealt with some some. I, I can tell you where it, my bullshit meter came in because we all get into it. That we played the sports and we can write about it and we think we have an insight in it. And we go from like liking the teams to now having to cross over in journalism. And here's what, the moment it changed for me. I was 18 years old. I was, doing, I was a stringer for the Bucks County Carrier Times and I covered the Sixers training camp. And it was at Franklin and Marshall College. And they, this is that team that they had with George McGinnis. Irving had, was about to join them. Lloyd Free, Joe Bryant, all those knuckleheads, right? Gene Shue was the coach. I walk in to, to the uh, arena. And I'm, I'm watching a practice and they're scrimmaging. All of a sudden, McGinnis walks off the floor in the middle of the scrimmage. He goes over to the stands. He's got his bag there. He pulls out a pack of cigarettes. He lights a cigarette, and he sits on the bench smoking a cigarette as they're going now five on four. Gene Shue's trying to get him. Come on, George, you get back. And he's waving his hand at him with the cigarette. I'm going, holy fuck. Pro sports is different. And it changed my complete perspective. Where did yours get so cynical? Well, I definitely when you're covering teams in New York. But the one thing you you think you know, but you don't know until you cover a beat. And when you're around kind of smart people, like Jeff Van Gundy was great with us. He was just a little bit older than we were. So there was a connection there. And like he basically educated you on the league. And then the players that you respect, whether it's guys like Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, Larry Johnson, you hang around those guys and listen to them. And they kind of cut through the nonsense. Like you always think, oh, the guy that talks a lot in the locker room, he's the team leader. And you learn over time that the players think that that guy's usually a poser, that's using the media to make it seem like he's a leader. And it's even like a little thing. Like what really is leadership? We A lot of people think it's the guy that's in the locker room and you know firing up the team. No, it's not. It's the guy that shows up for practice, practices every day, goes out on the court, and is playing when he's not 100% and plays hard and doesn't make excuses. That's really an example of leadership. I think when you're growing up, you have this idea. It's every it's a Newt Rockney speech by either the coach or a player that is kind of the uh, – that's an example of leadership. When it's, when it's really not, you just get smarter 
when you're on a beat. And I would tell any young reporter, go cover baseball because it is so hard. You're going to be miserable, but you will become a lot better at your job covering baseball because there's a lot of different personalities, especially now more international players, but it's hard. The hours are long. Your diet's going to get all messed up, but you are going to be do it for two years. You'll become a lot better at your job. Uh, but here's the thing about you, and this is definite, that your sarcasm just seeps out of you. And I love the way you do that show with Scalabrini because he's the player who really doesn't want to offend players. He's part of the club. And you just like, like you have no tolerance for a guy like uh, Kyrie. And it's wildly entertaining to a guy like me. And, and you had no tolerance for DeMar DeRozan's girl screaming the other day. But you did it in a way where... <laughs> You kind of like gave the impression that you kind of liked it, but I knew what was going on inside. No, I had to. No, I said, I said it's the greatest thing ever. I wish I was seated next to her so she could have screamed right in my ear. And it's amazing how everyone made her out to be like the darling of the playoffs. So last night on uh, Monday night, the Sacramento Kings are home against the Warriors. And remember the whole thing with the cowbell. Phil Jackson called it a cow town over twenty years ago. So they the fans started showing up with cowbells. I was at Game Seven in the Western Conference Finals, the year that the Kings played the Lakers. That was after the league gifted the Kings uh, game six back in L.A. So game seven in Sacramento, everyone is, you know, with the uh, cowbells and Phil Jackson would wear the ear uh, earplugs. Last night during a timeout, Bob Myers, calm, cool, and collected, looks like a million bucks. He's in about the 10th row. A guy is behind him ringing the cowbell basically in his ear. And I thought right away, how adorable is that? It's just like DeMar DeRozan's daughter, <laughs> this grown man ringing the cowbell. We should all celebrate it. This guy should be a hero because guess what? The Kings won the game. So just like we did with DeMar DeRozan's daughter, we could link the screaming to winning. We should link this guy with the cowbell and Bob Myers' year to winning too. It's adorable. It's a great, great story. I love it. Uh, and that's the sarcasm I love. And most people <laughs> on your network don't do it because it's NBA radio. So so let me let me go down. Because I've become, since, you know, I listen to you a lot and I've become addicted to the station. And I, I follow it up with uh, with Rick Hamla and Antonio Daniels yeah. and uh, Termini, Justin Termini and Eddie Johnson. Yeah. And I listen the camel and term because they annoyed his shit out of me, yeah, yeah, yeah. right but i but i'm like addicted to being annoyed by that <laughs> and, and i know that uh like for instance give me the history of this thing you got going with eddie johnson former nba player who does the afternoon show uh, yeah. and and, you, and you've kind of battled with him so tell yeah. me about the dynamic right, of that right. let, let me just, let me just give you a quick camel thing so camla got hired by nba tv back in the day to do fantasy. So Brian Myers, who works with us on the NBA app, our show's on the app, which your show will be on the app soon too. You could watch, watch the video. I got all dressed up for no reason today. So Rick Kamla was a young guy and he was Mr. Gung-Ho sports fan. His dream job, he's from Minnesota. His dream job was to do play-by-play for uh, the war, uh, for the Timberwolves. He would do these segments with us. And I was on with Billy King on NBA TV. And one day, like, he was one of these younger people who all thought every young player coming into the league is much better than any of the players that are out of the league or at the tail end of their career. He and, me and Billy King were on the air one day with him, and he was talking about Josh Smith. Remember Josh Smith who played for the Atlanta oh, Hawks? yeah, 6'10". 6'10", yeah. yeah. Total nothing. Came out great, of high school. Great athlete, but a total talent, nothing. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Rick Camilla said to us, Billy King and I, I think – he has the most unique skill set. Now you're waiting for the thing. Is he going to say in his neighborhood, among people his age? He said he has the most unique skill set 
in NBA history. Billy King and I on the set, we begin laughing. And I would say, have you heard of Magic Johnson before? <laughs> like also <laughs> having like a good basketball IQ is a skill set as well. But that's kind of where Kamala Cam- uh, is. One more other thing. So Kamala did a segment where he was projecting guys in today's NBA that will go into the Hall of Fame. And he's on there with Peter Vesey. You know, Peter's a curmudgeon and Peter's on set. They're sitting at a table and Peter's got like work boots on and white socks with a suit. He looks crazy. And Kamala has got Gilbert Arenas going into the Hall of Fame. He's got all these players. And Vesey on air at one point says, what are we even talking about? <laughs> Which basically, and I love Rick, but that basically <laughs> describes it. He's like, what are we even talking about here? Well, what's great is you're not afraid to call out your coworkers, which I did a lot <laughs> back back in the day. And uh, you know, and here's the here's a classic Camel. I listen to him, and, and Antonio Daniels makes a point, and he'll, he'll there'll be a pause, and he'll go, "That's a great point, AD." <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, so now what's he, lo- the he loves feud? the league. Rick loves the league. He does. What's the Eddie Johnson feud about with you? Well, it all started the when where he said he wanted to fight you or something. Yeah, so it all started when Devin Booker. He, Devin Booker had scored the 70 points against the Celtics in a loss. And that's when, the, you know, they took the Will Chamberlain picture. Where he's holding up the number 70. And we're thinking, all right, but you lost the game. It's not a great thing to, to get that excited about. Then there was a game against Utah. He was going for 60. And the Utah Jazz, at the end of the game, in a win, started double teaming, Don, uh, started double teaming Devin Booker to get the ball out of his hands. Eddie Johnson is murdering the Utah Jazz for doing that. So Brian and I really didn't know Eddie that well. So we played the clip of him, and then we were just kind of like making fun of the fact that what kind of organization do you guys have there? Where all you're worried about is this guy getting 60, and you're getting on the Utah Jazz because they're not playing the right way. They're winning the game, and they went on to win. So that started the whole thing. I think it started out as more of a joke, but he's definitely mad at me because when we were in Utah for the All-Star game, he didn't talk to me. He was mad. Yeah. Yeah, and he That's said you, you guys play uh, uh, some kind of a soundbite where he said he's, you know. That this guy is Eddie Johnson, the NBA player, the ex-NBA player. We yeah. <laughs> play that yeah. drop all the time. Uh, but it, it's great. Now, uh, Frank, you work with Scalabrini. I, I think you're both, and I love you to death, but I think you're both anti-Philly. And so we we went back. But especially Scalabrini, I had him on the show one day, my radio show one day. I don't even know if he remembers, but he, he said something anti-Philly. He did a Boston thing with me. But we were going back and forth all year about who you're going to vote for for the MVP. And I think you finally did the right thing. But all year you're making the case for your boy Jokic and Giannis. And you were ign- and I think that's your anti-Philly bias. No, Fess no up. chance. And your daughter even went to Villanova. It's no. a disgrace for no. you to be anti Well, hang on. My daughter showed up in Philadelphia, and your Eagles finally won a Super Bowl. My son <laughs> went to school in Chicago, and the Cubs finally won a World Series. So my kid should get uh, should get some of the credit for that. You know, you say that. I'm the guy, and I remember you getting into a big discussion with Kurt Schilling and the groundskeeper of the Phillies before a World Series game. I don't even know if you remember that. This is years. This is a million years ago as well. I When Philly lost to Toronto, I was rooting for the uh, steroided Philadelphia Phillies that year. I wanted I wanted them to win. I wanted the Eagles to win the Super Bowl this year. I wanted the Sixers to beat the Lakers in the final. You get obsessed with the MVP. At the time, I thought Jokic was the MVP. I did want to vote for Giannis because I love Giannis, but he played in 63 games. I can't vote for a guy that missed 19 games. So on my official ballot, and now Embiid doesn't have to cry anymore that nobody likes me, nobody likes me, I voted Embiid 
first for MVP. Yeah. So there you well, go. You so know you're I'm wrong about my anti I'm not stuff. provincial at all. But I, I just, here's where I, I, I draw the line at out of town media people who subconsciously hate Philly, which is what I think you're, you and Scalabrini are all. No about. chance. No chance. Everyone I know, all the, my neighbors are all giant fans. So I, you know, I'm one of these miserable people. I just root for other people to be miserable. So when the Giants got blown out by the Eagles, and then I saw Sirianni at game one, and I told my neighbors, I congratulated him on faking going for the two-point conversion when they were blowing out the Giants. I said, I thought that was the greatest thing. Because Giant fans can't stand your football coach. They can't yeah. stand his arrogance, well, his hooting and We, did, we couldn't stand him uh, the first month when he was hired because he did the happy horse crap and he, he uh, like, like said the the football season's like planting a, a flower or some some kind of crap. But give him like credit for give him credit, little credit for the quarterback. That's a dude that well, was subbed listen, out of a national have, championship game. Come on now, th- th- things have turned. All right, let's talk about something you probably talked about today. The Dr- you did talk about because I heard you talking about it on uh, the starting lineup, and it was the Draymond Green stomping uh, of Sabonis last night. And you had a different take. You 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 thought that Sabonis was totally uh, uh, blameless. All right, hang on, Mike. Let's go to Broad Street. You lay down on the street or on the sidewalk. And I'm going to go walk over you. You're going to stand there straight. Your, your arms aren't going to go up like this. That's exactly what the guy did. He already had gotten hit in the jaw once. So now here comes Draymond's foot. He goes like this. Draymond's foot gets caught in Sabonis's arms, which I'm sure Draymond is thinking that his foot is his ankles being grabbed. But this idea, when you grab someone's ankle, aren't you grabbing it with your hands? His ankle got entangled in Sabonis's arms, yeah. and then he stomped on him. Come on. I, uh, I watched the play a lot. Um, I think that Sabonis originally hooked his ankle with his one arm and then put the other arm up to protect his face. I think it was a hook. I don't think he deserved to get stomped, which leads me to my point about Draymond Green. Well, like, what what is it about him that we're, he's always got to be the tough? I know. Like, doesn't that get tired after a while when when you start hurting your team? Uh, like, you know, the Jordan Poole thing, the technical fouls. It's like, you know, he comes off as this righteous bully guy protecting his team when he does the exact opposite. I, I, I agree. So the radio station sends us to a few uh, different training camps in October. And one of them that we go to, because the Warriors are really good to us, and Brian worked there, so that we, we go out to uh, Golden State. So they give us Steph – they give us Clay, Steve Kerr. They give us Draymond Green. They could not be nicer to us, right? We were there the day before the punch. Like knuckleheads, we should have stuck around an extra day, and then that would have been really something good to cover. But I think he gets enabled by the Warriors. I don't know how that can happen. And the league at that point should say, do you want us to be the heavy or do you want to be the guy suspending? Because a lot of people said, well, no, it's a team thing. And this time it's different because it was on. The only reason you're making a big deal about it because it's on video. Yeah, that's the point. It's on video. Fans are watching a player get attacked at practice. You guys think this is good? So not only did he not get punished for it, he was able to show up the first game of the season where he received his ring and he got a hug from the commissioner. He didn't get you're out by the commissioner. The commissioner gave him the big bro hug before the game when he handed him his ring. Now, let me ask you this, Mike, because you've been around for a million years. David Stern is not suspending Draymond Green. He's not telling the Warriors, either you do it or I'll do it. Be honest now. Yeah, uh, silver is soft. 
There, he there's they, no he, question. He, he is. He should have been and, suspended. Draymond's not going to get suspended for these playoffs. You so, don't think one uh, game he'll get for no, that? No, I don't think. I don't even think he'll get suspended one game. I really Did you? How great? How funny! This is what I love about the playoffs. So, and like I said, I think it all started with Pat Riley and Phil Jackson going back and forth with the Knicks and the Bulls. The Warriors are smart. Clay Thompson gets up there after the game and talks about what Sabonis did was uncalled for. Steph Curry said the same thing. So you have these like two, you know, great citizens of the NBA sticking up for Draymond Green. Steve Kerr says he didn't see the play, which is telling you all you need to know. He thinks it's out of line, but Draymond Green did. The Sacramento Kings respond with how Sabonis is getting an x-ray on his chest. So what do the Warriors do to counter? Draymond's getting an x-ray on his ankle. He's getting an extra. The claim is, well, he, he might have heard it when uh, Sabonis grabbed his ankle. After he was kicked out of the game, he was skipping around the court, bouncing around and yelling at uh, K- Sacramento King fans. So the gamesmanship that's going on behind the scenes, and that's why Mike Brown needs to step up to the plate. He needs to kind of go after the uh, Warriors, go after Draymond Green. Oh, he doesn't want it because he's a former assistant coach. But you got to get down and dirty come playoff time. Uh, all right, so you, you've covered New York uh, sports team for a million years. Who uh, would you say gave you the most material as a writer? Uh, you know, you always look to, get, to for stuff to write about. And you had so many personalities up that way that yeah. probably offered you that kind of material. Who was the best that made your job the easiest? Well, the, the guy that was probably the most compelling, you know, we only covered him for a few years, would have been uh, Latrell Sprewell. Because he came to the Knicks after being suspended for the choking incident. And to his credit, so what he did was every time the Knicks went to a visiting or were on the road, all the visiting media, you'd get the big-time columnist coming out. You'd get the feature writer coming out. They'd all want to interview Latrell Sprewell. And a lot of cities, he would get asked the same question. He would stand there, and he would answer all the questions. He knew, I'm fighting a losing battle. The only way I could win it is to be accommodating to the media. So he could not have been a better guy to deal with. Now, he was hilarious because he showed up habitually late for everything. The Knicks had an open practice. He thought the practice was in Westchester. He rolls in like while the the teams are running up and down the court. In Milwaukee, you love this one. It's his hometown. So in the locker room, looking, there's his jersey hanging there. You go out on the court. Now, you know they closed the locker room in the old days, 45 minutes before tip-off. So I said, I'm going near the loading dock. That's where all the stories happen in the NBA is on the loading dock. Guys are getting guns pointed at them. Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Garnett are fighting. So I go out to the loading dock in Milwaukee because I'm thinking Latrell is not going to show up. It's a 7 o'clock start. He shows up at 6.50. This is the day before the All-Star break. This is hometown of Milwaukee. He scores two points in the first half, and I'm thinking, how great of a story is this going to be? I'm the only one that knows what time he showed up because I stood outside, out you know, out in the cold to see when he was going to show up. And you're going to write that story. Yeah. You're going to write that he was late. Boom. He ends up scoring. I'm going to forget exactly, but it was between 20 and 25 points in the second half and they win the game. But it was classic Latrell. He shows up late, but he kind of always delivers. And he was one of those few guys, and I know you covered guys like this. Latrell Sprewell could stay out until 5 in the morning, partying, living it up, get two hours of sleep, and it was like nothing for him. Oh, that's like Allen Iverson every night. It was amazing. It was absolutely yeah, amazing. Allen Iverson, one, one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, let me give you a couple uh, names. I don't know if you, you, I know you like DC. I know you like Derek Coleman. Did yes. you cover DC with the Nets? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were, were you there when he, he wrote the blank check to Butch Beard? <laughs> Saying, uh, yes. just fill in, fill yeah. in the numbers because I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to find me all year. 
So, so my, I love the Derek story where two of them, I was at the practice. It was at FDU. Remember FDU made the great run in the NCAA tournament. The Knicks, uh, the Nets were practicing there. And the day before Kenny Anderson was really having a rough go, you know, probably a lot of issues off the court, didn't show up for practice. The next day, the New York post, they found out that that night he was at a strip club instead of at practice. So the post back page headline was he scoots, he scores. He showed it. He was at scores uh, strip club. So the next day we're standing around Derek and Derek doesn't want any part of it. Like everyone's trying to get Derek to criticize Kenny for not being a practice. And Derek's like, well, what's the big deal? And uh, one of the guys who works for MSG network said, well, he, he's the captain. He should be there. And that's when Derek uttered the infamous, well, whoop de damn do, which was a great yeah, one. That was the, the other one, we're in do. Miami. And, you know, back then when we used to sit courtside, they have the stat monitor. There's a uh, break in the action. It's the fourth quarter, and Derek sits down on the table. And I think he had seven shots. And he looks at me. I said, Derek, you know you only have seven shots in this game? He's like, that's it? I go, yeah. I said, only seven. I kid you not, the last five or six minutes of the game, every time he touched the ball, he shot it. <laughs> I kind of feel like I, – I felt like, you know, it was like uh, immoral for me to kind of get involved. Thank you. Back then, I don't think a lot of people were betting. But here I am just busting his balls. I'm saying, you only have seven shots. And he said, really? I kid you not. Every time he touched the ball, he shot. Derek was well, great so that, to cover. He was a piece the, of work. That's the difference between a writer like you. You would write that loading doc story. You would make that a story. Hey, three well sucked because he was showed up late. 100%. But they, don't touch, they would not touch a story like that anymore like that. Well, that's the, the yeah. difference in journalism. And you know what it is, Mike? What happens now is everyone hates the media. We know that. And I don't think Latrell would do that, but I think players today, if you wrote that story, the player in question would go on social media, they'd mention your name, they'd probably put your um, Twitter handle, and they'd say, I don't know who your sources are, but I showed up at this time, you were, you're wrong. And the fans of that player, who all hate the media to begin with, then the army comes after you, and they're gonna, you're going to get absolutely destroyed. So I think for younger people, I get it, like... You and I, you read stuff on social media where people are destroying you, and you're like, oh, man, this kind of stinks. Imagine being 25, 26 and getting so that you kind of timid. Hit. Yeah, yes. you turn timid. Yep. Uh, I get it. We're talking to Frank Isola. Of course, Frank is uh, the the uh, host of the Great Morning Show on uh, Sirius XM NBA Radio, the starting lineup, among other things, the Yes Network with the, the Nets pre and post, and uh, also hosting PTI and Around the Horn and all that kind of stuff. La- last story I want to run by you. Were you in on this one? The, the infamous Jason Williams, Yinkadare, Benoit Benjamin story. What's what's that? What, what's okay, that so, story? Uh, so because uh, there's the, a lot. The Nets were playing the the Washington Wizards, and um, Christian Leitner oh, yeah, was, the was wearing the C. Yeah. And he had the captain C on him. So yeah. the next day at practice, uh, Jason Williams. Uh, Yinka Dare didn't know what the C stood for, and uh, so Yinka Yinka asked Jason Williams, who, of course, got later into trouble by shooting a yeah. guy with a shotgun and going Kill to me. prison. But uh, Yinka goes, "What was this?" And uh, Jason Williams says, uh, "C stands for Caucasian." Right. Uh, and and Yinka goes, "Oh, oh." And, and so they, so Jason Williams goes over to Benoit Benjamin and telling the story. He goes, "Man, Yinka's so stupid." He goes, "I just told him that the C on Christian Leitner's uh, jersey is still for Caucasian." And, and Benoit Benjamin started laughing. He goes, "Man, Yinka is stupid. Don't even know Caucasian start with a K." <laughs> now listen, Jason Williams has a habit of embellishing stories. He's really good at this. But I was in the lot. Now that was a wacky team. You had Chris Morris. You had. Kenny Anderson, you had Derek, you had Rick Mahorn, who was a, as you know, 
you know, numero uno ball breaker, and so was Jason Williams. We're in Detroit. It's late in the season. We were actually in there after the cutoff period. It was a 7 o'clock game. We were in there after 6.15. And, you know, the players are just busting our chops, making fun of us, but we're going back and forth with them. So at one point in the locker room, Chris Morris has his headphones on. So it's Dwayne Shinsons, another crazy person, Kenny Anderson, and Jason Williams. So Jason says, watch this. He goes, Chris, what's the capital of of uh, of Houston? Chris is like, you mean the capital of Texas? He's like, yeah, yeah, what's the capital of Texas? And Chris says, Houston. So they all start laughing, right? So you can tell Kenny doesn't really know what they're laughing about. So then Kenny looks at Jason Williams and he says, so what's the capital of Houston then? <laughs> it was oh, the, those guys. All they did was bus chops. I remember being in the locker room and Yinkadare walked in, you know, all, most of the players were sitting down. He walks in and Kenny yells out, what up, Stinka? They used to call him Stinka. <laughs> that team was crazy. Yinkadare, that was a lot of fun. of course, uh, was the pride of George Washington. That's right. right? Who went, the lo- who went a really George long Washington. time before getting his first NBA assist. Remember, it was yeah. like some crazy Yeah, he really didn't have to play. No. Uh, Frank, this has been a pleasure. Uh, listen, I hate to break it to you, but I think you got two more peg checks coming from the Yes Network. for, for post- Just two for more? Post. I'd, love, I'd love for you to, to get a couple more dollars, extend this to seven, but I don't think it's happening. How about I'll bet you I'll be in Philadelphia on Monday night? Really? You think the Nets win a game? They'll win one. They'll they win got one. nothing for They got nothing for the Sixers, Frank. Come on. Well, Bridges needs to Bridges and Cam Johnson both had terrific first halves, and then both of them got shut down in the second half. The Nets are not ready. They're not ready to not get shut down. They're still they're still getting there. They're not there yet. If you're the Nets, would you trade for Trey Young if you could? Who are you trading for him? Well, you're not trading Mikael Bridges or Cam Johnson. Well, wait, you're gonna give him slop for for Trey Young? They have draft picks. Yeah, I take Trey Young. I try to make that team better. Sixers are going to resign uh, James Harden. No, they're going to let him because walk. Because they're not. No, here's the, here's what's going to happen. They're going to lose to Boston, and then the Harden thing will stop. The NB thing will go on, and they'll try to you know maybe they try to go for Damian Lillard. And, nah, and try that's to, a know, good one. Re- recreate the you know the this semblance of a championship team just by replacing one guy for the next. Yeah, Lillard would be a good one. So That's I don't know what's going to happen. All right. Frank, Frank, it's been a pleasure, man. From from the first day I met you at uh, Manhattan College, the LaSalle Explorers versus Friday Manhattan. And, and look at you now. And look at me. Like, you know, you got 100 TV gigs. Congratulations you know, on your success. Come on, world. dude. You had an unbelievable run. You you got more money than, uh, than anybody out there. You're like Logan Roy on Succession, except you're still alive. That's good. All right, man. Uh, if you're in Philly... Let's get together. Monday. I'll be there. I'll see you Monday. You could pay off the okay. bet. We'll go get Sounds lunch. Good. Frank Isola, the great Frank Isola. Listen to him uh, every day on the starting lineup with Brian Scalabrini. It's a great pairing. You guys work well uh, with each other. Sirius XM NBA radio. Thanks, Frank. We'll talk to you. Thanks. It's the Mike Yusinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, thanks to Frank Isola as we talk some NBA and the fate of the new uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, so now it is time for Mike Unleashed. All right, Mike Unleashed could go in uh, many different directions. Today, I think I'm going to stay uh, on the sports theme, Mike Unleashed. First of all, uh, something we just talked about with Frank Isola, uh, the Draymond Green thing. I mean, here's the thing. 
that, that bugs me about Draymond Green. Uh, he's so caught up in this, uh, I got to be uh, the tough guy from the streets thing, that he hurts his team. Like, you know, like this macho thing that he carries all the time, that it, it hurts his team. I mean, the technical fouls, I mean, what he did with, with stomping on the guy. I mean, uh, who knows whether he's going to get suspended. But, uh, you know, it, it, hitting his own player. Like, it, it's, he's always got to be from the streets. And when Draymond, it's tired now. And I got to be honest with you, you know who's also getting tired? And, and I'm a, ma- a major fan of LeBron James. I always have been. He's starting to tire me out now with his comments. I, and, and I know people go, yeah, yeah, I, he's always been done that for me. But it's like, you know, I heard him talk about uh, Austin Reeves the other day. And he goes, uh, he says, yeah, first time I saw him in practice, I knew he'd be a player. <laughs> That's such bullshit. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. You probably looked at Austin Reeves like, what the hell is this? Get this hillbilly off the floor with me, man. I can't play with dudes like this. So, yeah, come on, LeBron. That's uh, smarten up. Uh, all right. So, uh, here's the big thing I want to talk about on Mike Unleashed. And it hasn't been discussed very very much, but uh, I don't know why. I don't know if pe- people are are just like uh, they're they're kind of like uh, desensitized to it. Uh, Josh Harris buying the Commanders. First of all, uh, I don't know why he bugs me, but Josh Harris bugs me, and I see him at Sixers games, and I and I and I. And I he makes me cringe, to be honest with you. I, he, like he, he's the owner of the team who looks out of place sitting in the first row. Like, like it's weird. I, I don't know what makes the guy tick. He's a very, very odd guy, uh, and he's a venture capitalist. And sports to him is all about that. Okay, I, I think we're conditioned to think that the owners really should be invested in the status of their team. Now, when you own the team, obviously you want them to win. Because it brings more glory to you. You own the entity. But he's in it for the business solely. And 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 you can just tell because he, he's buying sports teams. He bought the Jersey Devils, right? And now $6 billion to take over to Washington Commanders. He no longer is a Philadelphia owner. He's just a guy who invests in stuff because he knows the asset is always going to appreciate. It's smart business. But it leaves me a little disconnected to the whole premise of what an owner should be. Like, my owner really isn't totally 100% invested in my team. He's invested in this over here. He's invested in this over there. I I don't know why it bothers me, but it does. Darren, does it bother you? Bothers me a lot, particularly because he's buying rivals of the one team in town. Like, the devil's... Are if they're not the first rival, they're the second rival of the Flyers, right? All those years back and forth. Now, the commanders, they haven't really been a factor in the NFL for a while. Part of that is the owners. Uh, fault part of it is just, you know, they've had just the wrong people in place at, at, at the gem position, at the head coach position. They haven't had a quarterback since I can't remember the last quarterback uh, they had that was, you know, of, of substance. But, you know, they're those are teams that we see all the time. Like, you know, what's he going to have, you know, rival coaches, you're going to have uh, the, the quarterback of the, of the commanders ring the bell for the sit. So I just, it bothers me a little bit. Uh, it be, particularly no, he's rival. not going to do that. He's smart enough not to come. I would anything. think. 
And there's no reason why we should be bothered by it, frankly. He's an independent businessman. And until the rules prohibit uh, an owner of a franchise in one league to own another franchise, he can do whatever he wants. It just dilutes his ownership with my entity. Like, it's just a thing for him. It's just a a portfolio thing. And we're going to have to get used to the new world, I guess. I think it's our fault more than it's his but he's not a guy that resonates anyway as an owner of the Sixers. He resonates less now that he couldn't really care less about the Sixers. He cares about the sport, or the, the organization that he can buy that's going to make him appreciation. And, and I guess, in a way, he holds us hostage with his money. I think that's what it is, more than anything. So, you know, listen, knock yourself out. You bug me I, I a little. Me too. Uh, I, I I don't know. I guess all owners, to a certain extent, bug me. I think Lori uh, bugs me to a certain extent when I when I see him in the box. But but Harris, when anybody's sitting courtside, you can tell he doesn't know basketball from yeah, a pumpkin. Well, like but, he could he couldn't tell what the hell's going on out there. And he's just this little guy who owns the team, and he's got this weird. Smile no, I know. But the, the new world I, order you're talking know. about with sports ownership doesn't always doesn't really. At least it hasn't yet creeped into football. In football, you look at the vast majority of these NFL teams are still owned by one family or one, you know, businessman for years and years and years. Like football franchises aren't ones that turn over in terms of ownership. Um, you see it far more in basketball and in hockey, I think. So it's just it's part. I think that's part of it too. Is it's a little odd to have, you know, something like that. Him be a part of it and it hit close to home. Well, I, here's the type of guy Josh Harris is. I think, and I, I predict this is going to happen. I think when uh, you, a few years down the road, when it becomes a fact that the Sixers don't get the arena, are going to get the arena. I think he's going to sell the Sixers, and I think he'll move on to some other NBA franchise. That's what he does. And so much of his Sixer ownership to make money is based on getting that new arena. Now, meanwhile, he's got appreciation up the wazoo with the Sixers. So he'll make a ton of money anyway that he can use to buy some maybe expansion franchise or whatever in the NBA. But you're right. It does. It does bug me uh, a little bit. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's go back to the to the NBA. A, cu- a couple things I want to talk about. These guys, I'm watching the intensity in the NBA. You know, people underappreciate the NBA's intensity. And here's the most intense thing that happens in the NBA these days. When these supreme athletes who are big and fast and can jump out of the building come hard at the basket and guys take charges. Now, first of all, it takes a lot of balls to take a charge with a big guy coming at you. But second of all, these guys are getting hurt. Now, Giannis said that was a dangerous, dangerous play. Now, I guess they 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 force it upon themselves because they want to do a high wire act. And when you're in a high wire act, you're in a vulnerable position to get hurt. But these guys are getting hurt more like Tyler Hero diving after a ball breaks his hand. Like these guys are getting banged up and and it doesn't make uh, the the playoffs any better. And I don't know what the solution for it is. Uh, John Morant's hurt. Anthony Davis couldn't feel his arm the other day. I thought his career was going to be over after that play. So um, I I don't know what the solution is, but I'm I'm thinking that they're going to have to look at this block charge thing and tweak it somehow. You know how you try to make it safer for the quarterback? Somehow you're going to have to make it safer for the driver. Uh, And I don't know how they could do that, but I guarantee you uh, it's going to be discussed. All right, one other thing uh, I want to go with. Two other things, actually. Um, Russell Westbrook, last night or two nights ago, uh, takes a shortcut to the locker room and uh, wanders through a a courtside suite. 
and he goes through the courtside suite. Some jerk off fan who's in the suite, West bricks him. And, and a lot of people are, I'm reading all these tweets about how Russell Westbrook is a jerk and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and, and I'm going, what about the guy? Like, what? He's, listen, maybe he shouldn't be walking through the suite, but players go anywhere they want. It's like meaty people. I can go anywhere I want when I go to a game, right? He decided to go through there. Do you have to be a jerk off and, and yell Westbrook at him? Now, the guy was with his kid, too, being an ass in front of his kid yelling Westbrook. Brick, brick. Uh, now, now Westbrook comes at him. Of course, he's not going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at tweets and guys go, "Yeah, Westbrook, the same thing. He, he, he's like big tough guy, and he, and he backs off. What did you want him to do? Kill the guy? One punch, he could kill the guy. What he was supposed to kill the guy? You know, he's not going to hit him. But where's that guy have a right to ha- like? I can see you're in the stands and you want to be a jerk and you want to boo and you want to call him Westbrook and you want to throw popcorn at the coming there. Whatever you're, you, you want to do. The guy's right in front of you. You can't have enough, uh, uh, I don't know, self-control not to, to heckle the guy. I, this is what I don't get. I, I hate jerk-off fans. And, and people go, well, Mike, you're supposed to stand up for the fans. And Why are you so pro-player? I don't like Russell Westbrook. I couldn't care less about him. But, it, but you go walk through the, the suite, and the guy's going to yell Westbrook at him. He's not supposed to have a reaction to that? Why would that guy do that? Your thoughts. I will say this. First of all, West Brick is harmless, by the way, in terms of what I've heard fans yell and say. That said, he's heard it a million times, though. I hear it. Well, and that goes into my second point, and you're with your kid. You know, compose yourself when you're with your child. And not the, not that, that's not a pass if you don't have your kid with you. I'm just saying it looks a lot worse when you've got your young son with you and you're supposed to be showing an example of how to act in public. You got a choice. Don't be a jerk off. Like that's the choice you have. No matter who comes through, whatever player comes through, it's, a, it's an opposing player. What compels you to try to insult a guy? Like I don't get it. What's the payoff to that? It make you a big man because the guy's not going to hit you. All right. I think uh, 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 there's one other thing I wanted to talk about. Um, what was E forty? Are you aware of E40? Have you ever heard of E40? It doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> no, you're a classic rock man. E40 is a rapper. No, I don't know. Uh, it's like uh, uh, Killer Mike in Atlanta. Uh, like the, in the Bay Area, San Francisco area, this guy e, E40 is big. He, he got thrown out of a game the other night and he uh, because uh, he got into a little spat with a fan behind him. And they threw him out. Now, he's E40. Should you not have some discretion? Like, he's a, a big guy in the city. Should you not know that and not evict them from the stands for doing something like that? Like, it'd be like they evict Spike Lee no. in New York. You, you would never do that because you know who Spike Lee is. He, he represents New York. You would never yeah, do it. Spike Lee probably so wouldn't do something guys, to get thrown uh, out. If you get something to get thrown he, out, I don't he, care he, who the hell you are. Go. You got to go. E forty, please. E forty. You're not going to throw. You're not throwing Drake out of a Toronto Raptors game, and you're you're not you're not throwing Killer Mike out of an Atlanta Hawks game, and you you shouldn't throw E forty out of a Warriors game. You shouldn't do it. They represent something for your city. You shouldn't throw Meek Mill out of a game. Did they say anything to him? Did they say, "Yo, E forty, 
you know, you're, you're acting but like it, it was a woman that he, that he was getting into a beef with, and and the security she called the security over, and the security without thinking who he was, they take him out. You got to know. Uh, yeah, I, I I'm I don't think anybody's over. Just like, First just of like, all, he's a rapper. He's, he's not saving the planet. He's not saving the city from a, a contagion. Yeah, that's a very ig- that's a very ignorant comment. Well, he's made. a musician. So one, I should not take no, no, rapper back. Hold it. He's a musician. Hold it. If it was one of your Shut up for a second. If it was one of your heavy metal guys, you would have a different opinion on that. So because they're right, you showed disrespect I to met, a rapper. I met all right? because you don't like rap. That's Mike. not the point. The guy Meek Mill's a rapper. He represents I don't care Philly. What kind of music? Okay? E forty is a rapper who represents the Bay Area. You got to have a little more discretion, just like an umpire should have discretion when a guy comes up, like like Cody Bellinger comes up the other day. They give him an ovation at Dodger Stadium, right? You have to know that that's Cody Bellinger, and he's going to get a reaction. He's going to get an ovation. So you don't start the pitch clock. There are certain things you should know, and the security should know that you don't zip E40 out of the I totally agree about Bellinger. And if it was Bruce Springsteen, I would say the same thing. You're not better than any other fan because you're a musician. Because you just said, well, it was a rapper. I'm that musician. That's What's what you said. And you need to, and you need to take, it back. take it back. You, you wouldn't love me. You show, disres- you show disrespect to the I'd genre. I take it back as a rapper. I'm, I, I replaced it with musician. I don't care what kind of music you play. Yes, you are not above stop. anyone because stop. you're a musician. You, you, got, you, you could have said, well, he's just, he's just a rock star. No, he's not. He was Springsteen. I, There's certain stuff. There's a certain status for a certain city, and you know it. Not for musicians. All right. Okay, I don't think so. I I just made four examples to you. They're not going to throw Spike Lee out. They're not going to throw Drake out. They're not going to throw Meek Mill out. They're not going to throw Killer Mike out. They shouldn't throw E-40 out. That's the bottom line. And that ends Mike Unleashed for today. (laughs) Time for three questions here for Mikey Miss. All right, Mike. Uh, here is your first of three questions, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying about you were talking about the NBA and a lot of injuries. Is the NBA um, more physical today than it has ever been, particularly like in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s? It was a lot more when people think it was a lot more physical and a lot rougher. Would you say the NBA is more physical today than in the past? No, it's not more physical than it was back then. Uh, but but it, only because it's more athletic today, and it's tougher to be physical uh, with, with guys that that can, can run and jump like these guys can in the league these days. What's dangerous is the high wire act. The, the act has never been more high wire. Guys are in the air and they're out of control while you're in the air. So there's more of a chance for injury when guys come down hard. Back then, you could body up a guy, you could elbow a guy, you could do that. Now, the flagrant foul has come in. Well, you can't do that. If you do that, you're going to get punished. So, no, it was more physical. For all these people that okay, they, they can't break out of their damn 1980s, early 90s, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, the big bad boys and all that crap. All right, I'll throw your bone. It was more physical back then. The game is better today because it's more athletic. All right, that's a good answer for question number one. Question number two, Mike, NFL draft is next week. Which of the four sports can you build your team the quickest through the draft? Of the four major sports, which you know can you turn a team around the quickest through the draft? 
Oh, there's no question. It's football because you have multi-draft picks. If you have 10 draft picks and you're adding 10 guys, even if six of those work, you're adding you're adding six guys to, to your roster. And I know it's a bigger roster. Uh, the NBA is, is you know, at, first of all, baseball is a crapshoot. I don't want to put baseball in there. But the NBA is also a crapshoot because if you don't have a high pick, chances are you're not going to rebuild with a guy you take from 20 on. And the second round is just you taking a guess. So it's definitely football because so many more. Uh, there's so much more talent that's out there for you to select because so many te- uh, schools. Yeah, play I, I tend to agree with you. I thought for a second maybe the NBA because one guy can change a team around pretty damn quick, but it's those guys are so few and far between. I think you're right with football there. Question number three. Um, a lot of people say it's hockey. A lot of people say I'm one of them that says baseball. What is the most exciting playoff sport? Uh, the most exciting playoff sport uh, is, uh, well, for me, it's basketball. Uh, because when you get to the intensity of a conference final, seven-game series, to me, that, that's that's amazing. Now, uh, football, obviously, the playoffs are exciting. But to me, the, you know, the, 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 the basketball, when the heat is really on, and and the arenas are just erupting in that small arena reverberation of, of the crowd. Uh, to me, that that is the most intense, and to me, the most. All right, there you go. That's three questions this week for Mikey Miss. All right, that only leaves us with my thought of the day for today. And my thought of the day actually uh, happened yesterday, but then I started to think about it a little deeper. So um, I, I went to my drive-through bank window to deposit a couple checks yesterday. It's usually very convenient. Uh, I'm, I'm behind a guy, and his banking business is done. And um, he decides that he wants to have a social conversation with the teller, whether he knew the teller or whatever. They're talking about family and the, and the whole bit. And I'm hearing the whole conversation because she's got to press a button behind the window to talk to the guy, and he's talking. And they, and, and they literally have a 10-minute conversation social conversation as I'm I'm waiting behind the guy, which is not the spirit of the drive through window. Now, I, I have two choices. Do I sit patiently there or do I get out and go, yo? So I'm going, how does someone not think that they're holding up somebody else? And the same thing happens in the supermarket. Have you ever been getting ready to check out in the supermarket? The person in front of you is done. The bags are packed. They're in the thing. A social conversation has to occur because they know the cashier. And I'm going, do you not even think of somebody else? Like, I, this is what I don't understand about human beings. They have no thought process that they could be inconveniencing someone else. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. And in, my, in my younger day, I might have got out and went, yo! But I sat there and I took it. Did I do the right thing? You did the right thing. I'm proud of you, Mike. You kept your uh, your blood pressure at bay. Yeah, it annoys the crap out of me, too. Especially, like, I don't like the guy even at an ATM machine when you pull up behind him at a drive through ATM. And you know he's in there counting his money, counting, separating bills. Like, he's there for, like, four minutes after he pulled the cash out of the machine. What are you doing? I've, I am I am I... You know, I've given a little. All right, here's the relative of that whole situation: people that won't pull out of the parking spot quickly enough when you're waiting for it. Um, and, and listen, I have no rights to the parking spot. They're in the parking spot. 
they made their claim to the parking spot. But it's like they intentionally do it. They, they have to warm up the car. When I'm in that situation, I start the car, try to get out as quickly as possible because I know somebody's waiting. Like, am I different than anybody else? Does anybody else give a shit about anybody else? Like, they're in the car. They got to start the car. They got to warm it up. They got to put the seat warmer on. They got to then click their seatbelt. Then they got to look over here and look over there. And get out of the freaking space, please. Come on now. All right. That's my thought of the day. That ends the Mike Missinelli podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We'll have another one for you later in the week. Don't forget to download your Bet Rivers app. Check me out on Twitter, MikeMiss25. You can also email me, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have some some emails about uh, the uh, Jalen Hurts situation or maybe the Draymond situation. My email, Mike at MikeMiss.com. That's my website, MikeMiss.com. Check that out. And uh, also, I got a book out, children's book, The Adventures of Shima the Sheba. I got a winery going, Natalie Vineyards. I saw Darren sipping a little uh, Natalie Vineyard wine the other day. He put it on Twitter. Thank you very much for that. And uh, we're trying to have fun with life. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Have a great day, everybody. It's Mike Missanelli. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.